Okay, you're listening to the ebook revolution. Welcome once again. This is episode 14, and um, the ebook revolution is all about entrepreneuring and entrepreneuring and writing books and publishing platforms. And I'm very happy to have on the show today somebody that combines all those attributes in one. He's Ravi Jayapkapal, and uh, he really is the coolest geek on the planet. Now, um, don't believe me, if you're sitting near a computer, just go and search coolest geek on the planet, and Ravi will pop up at the top. It's uh, quite an accomplishment. He's an entrepreneur and a writer from San Diego. His uh, first book was published back in 2007, and uh, it was called No Business Like E-Business, and it was a category bestseller. Ravi's also the host of the sensationally successful podcast, Subscribe Me. But we're here today to talk about his new book, now available on Amazon, and it's also called Subscribe Me. And I've got him on the line now. Welcome, Ravi. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on your show. No problem at all. You really are the coolest geek on the planet. Tell me the story behind that. <laughs> So many, many years ago when SEO was all the rage, right? Uh, everybody's trying to game Google and try to build uh, incoming links to certain sites. There was this contest among a few marketers and they were going after a different set of keywords, I believe, at the time. I, I don't remember exactly. It was something like smartest guy or you know, handsome, handsome guy on the planet or something like that. So at that time, it got me thinking... Okay, I need a thing for myself, not just because I could do it, but because I wanted to, you know, brand myself as something. And I kept thinking, what what am I really about? At, at my core, I'm actually a geek. Some would say nerd, but I would prefer the word geek because uh, geeks are, by definition, way cooler than nerds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wanted to have a geek uh, in my in my resume, and I said, okay, just geek is not good enough, so let me be the coolest geek, because not all geeks are cool, not all nerds are cool. So I just made up a word and said, you know, let me get the domain and point it to my website, and that's how it came about. It's a great marketing strategy, and of course, could possibly argue that geeks have taken over the world. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, geeks and freaks, right? Like uh, in uh, the show. Um, uh, 30 Rock? No, not 30 Rock. No, what is that? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue I, as well. I can't remember. <laughs> Tell me the story about how you got started in digital marketing. Back in uh, 97, 98, while well, I was still living in India... Uh, I had this internet cafe that was uh, a business I started uh, a couple of years out of college. And um, so I wanted to do, get into some kind of an online business. And because I had an internet cafe, I had uh, quite, quite a bit of time on my hands because I was at the cafe all the time and I was messing around with stuff. And looking for Indian baby names. And that's when I found out that there were not many websites at that time. There were all different kinds of baby name sites, but there was no Indian baby name site. So I said, let me start my own site. 
And back then, uh, this was probably the actual site started probably in 97 or so. I didn't even have a domain name at the point. Uh, back then, Yahoo um, had a property called, um, oh God, I can't even remember the name. It was one of these free hosting sites, GeoCities and Tripod, uh, yeah. if you yeah, remember. remember. Yeah. So um, I think Yahoo bought GeoCities later. So I host, I started a site on one of them and started having Indian baby names. And then I realized I could sell, people were looking online for books Indian about Indian baby names. So I went out and got bought these books from this author uh, who had written a book. And um, from the bookstore, I made a deal with the bookstore that I will sell so many copies. I bought them a little bit cheaper, wholesale rates, and I started selling them online. So that was, I was the first person from India to sell a physical product uh, all over the world. That's a, that's a pretty good achievement, Ravi. It's, um, and that, that, of course, led you to the United States where you now live. Correct. So a few years later, um, I, I figured out that um, India was uh, going to be a problem um, for my ambitions because e-commerce was still, you know, the heart in, in the U.S. U.S. was still the heart of e-commerce and opportunity. And I could not get a, it was so hard staying in India uh, to even get a payment processor to accept me or my business because, you know, uh, even PayPal to this day does not operate in some countries. So you can mm-hmm. imagine yeah. like 20, 19, 20 years ago, uh, most payment processor, there weren't, there wasn't PayPal. I don't think so. There were a few payment processors and they didn't want to do international deal with international merchants. So it was very hard. And I figured that I had to go where all the action was. And that's yeah. how I found, figured out a way to, to get a job. And I came here doing the Y2K um, boom and the, the dot-com boom. They were hiring a lot of people with uh, tech skills. So I was able to come over here um, to the U.S. And now um, I lived in New York for about 10 years. Then I, I moved to San Diego. That's where I live right now. Well, is um. I often think about the 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 Y two K kerfuffle because in um, one of my previous careers, I actually, I managed a internet service provider in Australia, and um, of course, you know, we had to have a lot of systems upgraded uh, for Y two K, and there was a lot of um, people right. saying to be doom and gloom scenarios. <laughs> yeah, there's and, always something, right? And of course, nothing happened. And I've often wondered, did nothing happen because? the doom and gloom scenarios were correct and all the patching stopped them happening or was it just overstated? Yeah, doom and gloom was mostly for, for you know, heavily automated uh, mission-critical systems, right? Um, for the most part, they were all fixed. It was the date format and for the most part, it was all fixed and uh, that definitely helped. It, it definitely needed to be fixed because there there was an inherent issue with the system, and having a two two uh, two digit date format would have caused a lot of you know a lot of systems a lot of problems, including banking, railways, uh, aviation, and so on. So they did fix it in time. Unfortunately or unfortunately, I was really I, I was able to take advantage of that wave of hiring. I did not come here you know specifically for the Y two K stuff. So I came uh, to, for the dot-com stuff. Uh, my first job was at a internet startup, which was trying to become the next monster.com. 
at the time. Um, if you heard monsterjar.com, oh, I remember them. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Dice and Monster. So those those were the big sites. Um, can't believe you know, 15 years ago, Monster and Dice were taking out. Um, at least Monster was taking out um, uh, Super Bowl ads at that point. Mm. So at that time, anything went. If, if you could drum up some hype. Uh, you could get you could get money if you just get a few eyeballs. You could just extrapolate that into uh, millions of eyeballs down the road, and you could sell your startup for a lot of money. Um, it was it was all the wild wild west back then. Uh, so that's how I was able to get in. It certainly was the dot com com bubble version one. Now, um, what we talk about in this podcast generally is. Um, writing in in the most case but how to become an authorpreneur and and the word authorpreneur you know it means an independent writer that uses some marketing savvy to um and marketing tools and tactics to actually build a platform and sell their own book which is um what you do yourself but you're not just limited to writing i'd like to Reading your bio and everything, you strike me as a real creative entrepreneur. What What are the things that drive you to be a creative entrepreneur? With it, with it, is that a correct way to? Yes, you could say that. Um, my biggest uh, boon and my bane has been that uh, I'm always trying to solve problems. I'm a problem solver at the very <laughs> core, and not not any problem. You know, I don't like to solve electronic problems I, I if something breaks in my house i just throw it out and buy a new one i can't fix anything at all right now in the house i'm the most useless <laughs> husband when it comes to <laughs> fixing things around the house but when it comes to online stuff you know something goes off in me and uh, i want i want to probe and i want to find out you know what makes something work and that has been an you know like i said an advantage and a disadvantage whenever i see something that there's a need or if there's a tool that comes out or an online service and if it is in my area that's the key thing i don't go out and try to be the next uber or the next google if there's something in my niche which applies to my scale of thinking and my vision then instead of using a tool to to help my business i'm thinking how can i create something better and offer it to my customers and I'm always constantly trying to keep my niche down to something, you know, exa- very focused so that I'm not trying to create totally different tools. So the advantage is over time, I build customers in the same niche. And so in 2001, I started a webmaster script website called Webmaster in a Box. It's no longer active, but I was selling PHP scripts. So at, at the time, for site owners so my evolution has been because every time i tried something i was i was part of the audience yeah i felt the need myself and it was always scratching my own itch but I, most people who go from a hobby to a business forget that it's not enough to scratch your own itch but you also have to make sure there's enough people who want to who want to do the same that's and right. that's where i was able to set myself apart in that I was always at the cutting edge of stuff going on in, in the online small business commerce, e-commerce world where bloggers and and with the advent of WordPress, that niche just grew like to millions of people and that yeah. really helped me out down the road. 
When do you think you first realised that you'd really figured out this digital marketing thing and it was going to be a, a, a viable way to, to um, you know, make income and create a lifestyle? Right. So the first time was um, soon after I had moved to New York, um, I got an email from somebody who said, hey, Al, I went to your website, uh, the, the baby name site, and I see that you have a contact us form on your, on your site. Do you mind selling that to me? So you can imagine how technology was primitive back then yeah. that if you needed a contact us form, you had to actually get it custom developed by a developer. Yeah, because websites, you know, if you had Dreamweaver and all these HTML tools, all they could do was static HTML. If you want anything that involved any kind of programming, even something as simple as emailing the contents of a form to you, you had to have it developed. So that was the first time I had written this thing while learning PHP and just experimenting with stuff. And somebody came and said, uh, would you like to sell it to me? So I said, okay. So I said, how can I package it in a way that he can just change a few things and then uh, use it on his own site? So as soon as I did that, it was, it's a very simple ex, uh, experience. So I, I packaged it into a zip file, sent him the zip file, and I got paid $30. And that was the, that was the biggest light bulb moment for me. And that said, wow, so I can do this. I can, I just, all I did was send him a link to as you know I, I sent it as an attachment at that point yeah. sent him a zip file and I got 30 bucks yeah it's a it, it's a great feeling when you make that first online sale of a, a product you've developed or a, even a book you've written right until then I had been only selling physical books so a sale was always a little bit you know, unfortunately, at that point, a little annoying to me because by the time I had already moved from India to New York, I had a full-time job, and if if I got a sale for my actual physical book, I, I so I said, you know what, I can't do this. I was I was, I brought a shipment of books with me here to the U.S. Then I had to go to the post office and I had to mail it out, and soon I was getting five, ten orders a, a week. And it was really eating into my weekends. And plus, the, the people were getting annoyed that if the, somebody ordered on Monday, the earliest I could mail it out to them was for following Saturday. And because the costs were so prohibitive of shipping them from India to here and then from here to to them, the shipping costs were very high. So the cost of the book was high, and the, so it was the whole thing was a mess. So I was I had to send it by regular mail, which means it you know. And then the first time I sold a digital product. That was the that was the most amazing sensation because I didn't have to go to the post office. I didn't have to physically do anything. It was just send an email, get money. That was the the turning point, I guess, in my in my career. It's a, a magic formula, isn't it? <laughs> I can remember, yeah, it's remember so my, addicting. My first email campaign, and um, <laughs> then I woke up in the morning to a couple of sales, and I was like, "My God, this actually works!" It's <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Nothing. Nothing that gives you a bigger high than wake, waking up richer than you went to bed last night. But particularly when you when you slave over a product. And, exactly. And even if the beginning, if it's just a couple of dollars, it's still a big deal. Your first sale. And I think that's a message I try to get out to everyone on my podcast. You, you just got to. In, in Australia, we have a saying: you've got to have a go. 
just Absolutely. just have a go. Don't try to get it all perfect and make everything absolutely perfect. Just put it together and have a go. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, you learn from it. You expand. But a, a lot yeah. of people who'd like to get into the online space, and this is probably true uh, in the United States, United Kingdom, etc., some people are, are risk adverse. They they're, they're they're afraid of putting themselves out there and, and having a go. Right, and the software people are blessed to have the word beta or beta, uh-huh. or depending on how you call it. Right, so you can you can just slap the the label beta on it, and you can launch something that's not fully done, and that's the beauty of you know beta and minimum viable product. Uh, it can be applied to anything at all, even if it's a book. Even your Kindle book, you don't have to have the pr- perfect first version out there. You can you can actually add stuff, add chapters. That's the beauty of Kindle or digital books is that you can add stuff even after it's released. That's quite right. I mean, and I'm an ebook evangelist myself, and um, yeah, it's it's a living document. It can be updated, amended. So we'll cha- change the tack a bit back back onto writing. So what's You've written a couple of books now. Um, what's the one bit of advice you'd give a first-time author putting a book together in the um, non-fiction space? Um, maybe they're doing, want to do what you're doing yourself is, is using your books to support your online business, um, which is you know, advice I always give. What would be your advice for somebody like that to to complete a book and get it published? Right. So there's two aspects. One is, you know, what should you write about if you have an if you already have an offline uh, online business, uh, then do you write? How do you position your book? So that's that's key. The the key thing is to to figure out first before you write a single word, what is the purpose of this book? Is it just to get my name out there? Because there will be a different angle depending on what you're trying to do. Let's say if it is it is about promoting your main flagship product, which is it doesn't matter whether it's sold offline or online, whether you're building a brand, the goal is to position the content of the book so that it appeals to the audience that you're trying to reach. So in my case, my book, my first book, of course, was called No Business Like E-Business. It had everything. It was all about positioning myself as an expert. At that point, uh, I had a full-time job. And I I had this business going on on the side. I was working nights and weekends. And my biggest motivation at that point was to become known as an expert in the digital marketing space. So that's that was my goal back then, and it still is in so many ways right now. Uh, it's but it also, you know, evangelizes my my product my, that my wife and I uh, co-founded and co-developed called Digital Access Pass. Yeah. So we we uh, the book is about. Uh, it doesn't really you know that that's where you have to have a fine draw a fine line and say you know you you can't make the book an advertisement for your product but at the same time you want to have tied in enough and still uh, show de- demonstrate without explicitly 
beating your chest about it and, and shouting through the rooftops <laughs> that your product is your product or you in your space, you are the best possible solution available for the problem that you're trying to solve. So this this book was um, the new book that I've written is called Subscribe Me. And uh, it is about online course, how to create online course, membership sites, recurring subscriptions and selling online and so on. Yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a free read on Amazon. Um, and I, I love your theory of dog poo versus dosa. <laughs> can, can, you, can you give the listeners a run through on that? Sure. So to demonstrate the, the difference between one-time products and recurring products, I created two acronyms. Uh, and I wanted it I wanted to create it in such a way that it sticks out in people's minds and the acronyms make sense to what they're trying to explain. So dog poo, which is general, is stinky, is disgusting. <laughs> so it's D-O-G-P-O-O. It stands for do once, get paid only once. That is your typical freelancer model, right? You yeah. do work you get paid. You go to work, you get paid. You work for a client, you do you do a project, you get paid. When you stop working, you no longer get paid. So that's your one-time model. Do once, get paid only once. So versus dosa, which again, I tied it to the uh, famous Indian dish uh, called dosa. It's this uh, uh, d- delicacy. And so dosa is yummy. It so is, that's what you want. Is, you want to go for, dosa stands for D-O-S-A-A, do once sell again and again and that is the real key to having a long-term business because it's as if if you ask any freelancer uh, and actually freelancers have it worse than somebody who has a job because somebody who has a regular job actually goes and gets a paycheck every month and and freelancers have it even worse because they don't have a job every month. When the current project ends, they have to have another project lined up. And the same thing goes with selling one-time products. You have to constantly be hunting for new customers, and yeah. it gets really exhausting after a while. It's fun in the beginning. You sell something, you get paid 30 bucks. Wow, that's amazing. Then you go find another customer, and pretty soon you find that you can't be hunting for customers all the time. There has to be some way for customers to come back and buy more stuff. Then you say, okay, that's not a big deal. Let me go and create more products. Now, it is humanly impossible to endlessly keep creating new products unless you're a marketplace like Amazon, who, who, if you notice, they don't sell their own products. They sell other people's products. So unless you have a marketplace, it is not possible for you to keep coming out with new products. So whether it's your groceries, whether it's gas, you think of anything that you buy today, any big company you buy from today, even if you're buying it one time, there is a built-in recurring model into it in that you will soon go back for more, whether it's groceries or gas or go to the restaurant. And if you don't have some kind of recurring model built in, those are the companies that that fail. And that's why 80% of small businesses fail. So subscribe me. walks the reader through how to set up a subscription model membership site. Would that be correct? Right. 
so it talks everything about you know why do you need recurring and how do you add recurring to your existing model and how to so once you so it starts with you know all it talk goes through the whole process of what are the tools you need today okay and, and it uh, it talks about different things you can do whether you want to have your own website you want to sell on a third party site like udemy.com or do you want a hosted service so or your own wordpress so it goes through all the different tools and technology that you need and what are the payment processors do you do, do you need do you want paypal do you want credit card so it, it goes through all the technology side and then it also goes to the next level which is okay now you want to charge every month how do you decide how much to charge and then based on how much you charge how do you provide the value for that how much content do you need to package what kind of stuff do you need to package for if you want to sell something for say $9.99 $9.99 a month versus what do you do if you want to sell a $99 a program versus a thousand dollar program so different uh, tiers mm-hmm. how do you ascend the customer uh, i call it commitment essential model so you start from uh, the smallest commitment to the biggest commitment smallest commitment is something like giving you their email address the biggest commitment would be coming to your you know uh, real life events and ha- hiring you for thousands of dollars and getting one-on-one coaching maybe they come to your house uh, so those kind of coaching and consulting all the way so how do you package different things so it goes through the whole gamut of choices you have to make and the choices that are available for you so it, it gives educates you on uh, from end to end on um, adding recurring subscriptions and doing it all online via online courses and membership sites I, I'm a big believer that um, this model can work with writers as well. Um, I'm also a big believer that most people have something they can teach and um, putting together a subscription site where you're, you're maybe linking some courses on how to write a book, um, how to put it all together, how to market it, how to create a platform... Um, that gives a valid subscription income model to people writing a book, trying to get it out on Amazon. That you know, and at the end of the day, it, it's it's rare to make a lot of money off Amazon books sales. You've got to you've got to find other models. And a, subs- a subscription site monetizing your knowledge it, to me seems the best model. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, uh, Amazon books. Have never been known to make uh, you know anybody a millionaire unless you know you're in the top one percent, um, like Stephen King or uh, uh, you know Harry Potter books. You, you, unless you have a huge brand and a huge platform, you're not going to make you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get a publisher who gives you a huge advance. You're not going to. The average person is not going to make a lot of money on Amazon. So the next question is, what is the purpose of your book? Uh, because it's not it's not you cannot say i'm going to write a book and get rich that's not going to happen unless you write a lot of books that's another story yeah but the main thing is how do you so how do you leverage this huge massive monster called amazon be able to reach a lot of people and you you, can, you will make some money along the way if you send if you sell thousands of copies at uh, 299 or 5 and 499 you will make 
up to can make up to seventy percent of the sale. So it's not that it's you, you're going to be broke, but you will make money. But that shouldn't be the goal. The goal is to leverage that audience and bring them back to your website yeah. by offering stuff, you, you know, free bonuses, uh, free lifetime copy, and you can bring the buyers back to your site, add them to your list. Then now you have a audience that you can go back to repeatedly and offer value like Gary Vaynerchuk calls it, jab, 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 right hook. So you yeah. send them a few jabs um, and then you do a right <laughs> hook. So you send add a lot of value like and that. you promote something. Obviously, you want to promote something that they would be interested in because that's the reason why they look for your book. Uh, they, they bought it. They have emailed you the, the uh, receipt. They have joined your list. They're following you. They're listening to your podcast. They're following you on Instagram or Facebook. So now you're a put, you put them in a Facebook group. So now you're building a community of very focused, uh, of, in a very focused niche, and you're trying to solve a problem. And these people are there, and they've expressed that they have a problem, and they express that they are following you. So now, what do you do with that? That's the next step, right? And that's really um, about building a platform, isn't it? Now you're the go-to guy for digital marketing advice what what advice would you give to somebody in the writing space who's heard about the importance of this platform thing but they don't have a clue how to go about building one how to get it together yeah so the the platform itself the word is it's a little bit overrated right it's not it's not the platform that matters it's where your audience are is hanging out that matters a lot of people get you know, there's always a new thing being promoted. Oh, Instagram, Snapchat, this, that, Pinterest, Blab, Periscope. There's always something coming out. Yeah, where, and there's always the trying to keep up with it. <laughs> you cannot, exactly. You cannot keep up with it because there's always going to be a bunch of superstars in every platform. There will always be the big, new, shiny thing. Exactly. And you just can't get keep getting distracted because the moment podcasting has always been so big but now suddenly periscope came and uh blab and uh meerkat now there's that's the next video uh point and click video revolution going on and there's always going to be somebody who's really who's really killing it with the new platform and you're always jumping ship there's always going to be a new thing that comes out whether it's a platform or a different strategy or a different type of marketing uh, but though you always have to be old school, uh, you have to remember that ultimately what matters is can you consistently own the audience? As in, do you have a place where you can reach them consistently? And if it's just Periscope or you know some third-party platform, there's only so far you can go if they change the rules or they get the, the platform gets bought out. And Twitter has been known for doing this. They can they can change the rules. Facebook is the same way. People spent you know millions of dollars um, collectively uh, gaming for likes back in the day, because they thought getting a like from somebody meant when they updated their fan book fan page, everybody would hear that uh, would would see the message. Soon Facebook said less than I don't know ten percent or so. Um, we'll see of your fans will see your message even if they've liked it and liked your page so they changed the rules 
so you cannot depend on a third-party platform to exist and support your business for the long term. You have got to bring them back to your website. And that's that's the key in, in, in the platform is that it doesn't matter where they originate from, whether it's Facebook, and you have to go where your audience is. If, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if, if your audience is on Pinterest, then don't worry about, oh, I, I hate Pinterest, right? I, I, I can't figure it out. I'd rather do the marketing on Facebook. It's because it's, I, I have figured it out and I, I'm a lot more comfortable with it. Well, your audience is not on Facebook. They're on Pinterest. So don't fall in love with the platform. Don't fall in love with the technology. Go where your audience is. But even if it's an awful, the old school internet market, internet forums, right? People yeah. don't not many people know the word forums anymore because there are no forums. Everybody's on Facebook groups these days. So whether it's creating a Facebook group or going to an existing online forum and um, or Twitter, which is becoming less and less used, but still has a lot of impact because the noise has died down on Twitter because people are moving on to the new shiny thing. So that means people who are still on Twitter, you can reach some of the big names, uh, so easily by tweeting at them. Of course, you can't spam them, but uh, it's easier to build relationship on some of these other platforms, and that's that's the key. And and then eventually you have to figure out a way to bring them all to your website, and you have to build a list. That is the single most important thing: is building your email list. If you don't have an email list, you really don't have a long-term platform. The list is where the money is, as it's said over and over again. Absolutely. There's, you know, obviously it's not just email, uh, having an email ID on your list. There's a lot more. There's relation, building relationship, providing value, establishing authority. There's so many aspects to it, but bottom line is you have to have a list. So what would you say is the most important message you want readers to take away from your book, Subscribe Me? For most people, it is easier to sell something digital than physical okay so the books tells them all lays out all the options they have if they want to start selling online and the biggest message is uh is dog poo versus dosa you cannot build a successful long-term business if you don't if you're selling one-time products that's the biggest uh, message i have that you you must 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 incorporate a recurring subscription model and i i also show how to change the thinking from just selling one-time products to because it is a it is a shift in mindset uh, in terms of your marketing your positioning and the pricing because now you have to convince people not just to pay you two not two dollars 99 cents for your ebook now it is about how to increase the value that you're offering so that they'll pay you $10 a month or $100 or $1,000. So this whole different mind shift change, that's the mind shift shift change that I'm trying to educate people on and give them the tools and the technology and and answers to the choices that they will have to make and educate them about those choices and how to make an informed decision. It's a great book and I highly recommend it. Um, You can find more about uh subscribe me um where can we find your book right Rami? you've got the url well we'll of course have this added in the show notes at the end of the program but um sure 
You can go to subscribemebook.com. One word, subscribemebook.com. That's easy to remember. And, um, yeah, if any writer thinking of just going beyond just just pushing a book out there, um, this is a fantastic read and it will set it all out for you. Now, you're also a successful podcaster. I'm interested in how that came about. Yeah, so... I have always been interested in the talk show format, talk talk show radio. Right from the time I was uh, um, I was a youngster, um, growing up in India, uh, we used to get only a couple of channels. So CNN used to come on. I watched used to watch Larry King. So there was something fascinating always about the talk show format, where you have either one person talking, or if it's it's an interview, two people exchanging thoughts and ideas. So I always was more drawn to talk than to music, even though, you know, um, I have a lot of music in my genes, my, my entire family, a lot of musicians. So later on, I, when, I, when I used to uh, reach the U.S., I used to listen to talk show radio. And again, that just kept building on, you know, my fascination for the, for the platform. And then came, I discovered podcasting once I got my first uh I believe it was the iPhone Touch, not the iPhone Touch, the iPod Touch, and iTunes made it so easy to to subscribe to podcasts. Back then, I had to download everything on my computer and then upload it, sync it to my iPod Touch. But it was so helpful during you know when I was traveling or commuting. It was fascinating. Uh, a lot of the times, I didn't have internet access, so sometimes I would just or my laptop would die and I would just fire this up in the subway even when there is no phone or any kind of uh, connection so I could still listen to stuff and and I preferred listening to podcasts and that fascination grew grew over time and and then a lot of shows started coming out about entrepreneurship and and, uh, how to and stuff that about building a business and I was listening to those and said I can I can do this and I have so much to offer and this was probably the best platform I, I was I'm a good writer too so I could probably bang out a blog post but there's something very intimate and very personalized about a podcast that listening to somebody having their voice in your head it shouldn't be good or bad. Uh, good for the most <laughs> part, right? You can you can come to hate them because if you don't like the way they sound or what they're saying, much more than you know, they'll be much more passionate about the podcast than about a blog post, because the blog post is just one click away to get yeah. out. Yeah. With, the, with the podcast, they tend to listen. You know, you can engage more with the audience only because they're usually it's it's not something unless they get a phone call. Uh, they're not going to really interrupt the podcast. They're usually doing the dishes or walking the dog or going for a run. And even if you have a 30-second ad uh, in your thing, there are people are not stopping their, their activity just so they can fast-forward through 30 seconds of ads. So that was fascinating. Not that I have any ads in my thing, but I'm just saying. So the fact that people are are stuck with you one way or the other, for good or for bad, now you can take advantage of that and and obviously, if you provide a lot of value, if your show is full of ads, people are not going to come back. But the fact that it's not easy to click away, uh, they're not, it's not easy to change the channel, so to speak, that means that now you have a more attentive audience 
and you can really use that if you provide great value uh, and people will even put put up with like some of the shows I listen to the two minute ads two minutes of ads in the beginning two minutes of ads in the middle it's just extremely exhausting as a listener but some of them I really put up with because the content is so great that's what people will do on, on a podcast and yeah you're quite right you, you, and you can use that to your advantage you don't have to have ads at all like um, except a couple of my episodes in the beginning, I wanted to do it just because I could. I had a couple of episodes with ads. Otherwise, it's mostly about educating people. Um, I have absolutely no ads. And on the, the, most of the later uh, episodes, it's all about you know um, promoting myself as an exp- expert by providing tremendous amount of value, answering listener questions, going deep diving into a lot of the topics that we have just been talking about. It's basically expanding the the book. And I realized that podcast is a fantastic medium for having an intimate relationship with your with your audience and you're in their head, you're talking, you can be funny, you can be more uh, down to earth, you can be uh, uh, you, you can be more authentic, you can be yourself, and that really resonates with your audience and you can build a re- relationship. You, you, you've hit, hit the nail on the head. I I love podcasting because basically I'm a lazy man and <laughs> I, exactly. I find that um, blogging is exhausting. Like you've got to re- research the topic, bank some topics up, and then write the blog post. A podcast you have a conversation it's um it's uh much easier and i think as you said um list listeners have to commit i mean they don't have to commit they can turn you off but it's a different level of commitment from reading a blog post to listening to a podcast you can you know be on your i i, I listen podcasts riding walking um Right. The, the, that's why radio becomes so big because the, the listener is kind of stuck with you in the car, right? Yeah. It's not, they can't easily... There's no escape. <laughs> ...check Facebook. They can't easily click away and check whether somebody messaged them on Facebook. They can't check their phone for Instagram message or they can't uh, watch a YouTube video, right? There's just very few distractions. Same thing with with the podcast. That's what is more fascinating. And because I already love the the talk show format, uh, I, I even don't have too many guests uh, because I still still I'm going through the initial phase. I'm 20 episodes in, yep. and I'm still going through the phase where I still have so much left to to offer. So most of my shows, uh, almost 99 percent, except I think I had one guest so far. Most of my shows are um, solo solo shows where I just go pick up a topic, go and deep dive on the topic, and sometimes it lasts multiple episodes. Yeah, I've had a listen to your show. It's a great show, highly recommended. Again, if people want to listen um, to Ravi's podcast, it's on subscribeme.fm. You can find the podcast right there. And uh, I think you're also on Stitcher as well, aren't you? Yes. So if you go to subscribeme.fm, all of the links are there. And uh, there's if you click on the podcast um, link in the menu, you can listen to the, the show all, uh, on, on the website too, just if you want to sample what the show sounds like. And then you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Well, it's been great having you on the 
podcast, Robbie. And um, I've learned a lot. I hope my listener, I hope I have more than one listener. <laughs> I, do, I do have a couple. Um, I'd like to wrap up and ask you, what's your philosophy of success? In general, this philosophy of success and legacy and all this stuff has changed for me over time as I've grown older, I've lost my parents. Um, so ultimately, the biggest thing is if you can do whatever it is that you want to do and have fun and help somebody and make money while doing all that, that's the biggest definition of success. So you're, if, because usually when you're going for a job, right, it's, you make money, but you may not really be having all that fun because you have to be there at somebody else's, uh, you know, bidding and you have to do what, what you're, is being asked of you. On the other hand, if you're just a freelancer, you, ha- you own your own time, but money is not uh, consistent. You're having fun, but it's not consistent. And if you're, only, if you're fully into, uh, you know, social in a social organization, you're probably getting a lot of satisfaction, but you're not making so much money. So what is the one thing where you can do all of the above? If you can find that, that intersection of where you can, you're having a lot of fun, you're getting a lot of satisfaction because you're helping a lot of people and you're making a lot of money. Uh, again, you don't have to make billions, right? To be, to be happy. If we, whatever it is that you need to take care of everything that you need to take care of, and own your own time and be your own master. That's that to me is is the definition of success. And if I go strictly by that, I have been extremely successful in what I set out to achieve uh, as a youngster. And everything else from here onwards is just gravy icing on the top. <laughs> I think that's a great philosophy. Just have fun. Well, it's certainly been a lot of fun talking to you, Ravi. And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. If again, if you want to um, buy uh, Ravi's book, it's Subscribe Me, and you can get it at subscribemebook.com and listen to the podcast, subscribeme.fm. And um, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been an amazing experience. I appreciate having me on the show. Thank you. This is uh, the ebook revolution again, episode number 14. We're getting up there bit by <laughs> bit by bit. My New Year's resolution is to get more of these out each week. But um, episode 14, of course, uh, you can get the show notes and the direct links to all Rami's, Rami's um, sites and platform at madhousemedia.com.au slash podcast just look for episode 15 of the ebook revolution and of course while you're at it if you could pop on over to itunes and give us a rate and review that would be fantastic because the more reviews we get the more people know about the podcast and we get the message out and we're also available on stitcher that's it for us goodbye from the ebook revolution see you next time